Welcome to Playing for the Master, a podcast on theater, faith, culture, and other shenanigans. Okay. Well, this is the... Uh, possibly... Maybe... It's sort of... Official podcast... For Unmuted Arts... And Master Arts Theater. Well, believe it or not, we are back with another episode of Playing for the Master. Yes, we can put up with each other a little bit longer. Barely. Like, I think we'll kill each other at the end of this. Maybe. But, you know. Fortunately, we're social distancing, so we can't really kill each other. We are at least six feet apart, if not more. Quite a bit more, actually. <laughs> um, so... We wanted to, obviously, we're still in the middle of um, this quarantine thing. Um, you know, it's been extended to the beginning of May. Um, so, and we're just coming off of Holy Week and the celebration of Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter, um, or Resurrection Sunday, depending on how you like to look at it. Um, so I think we wanted to take a little bit of time today, um, talk about how um, some, our churches in particular, but a lot of churches in the area, how they're handling, how they, how they did Holy Week with all of us stuck in quarantine. Um, then kind of how John and I, what we've been doing and um, what we've been doing for our organizations, Unmuted and Master Arts. And then we're going to end with something a little lighter. We're just going to talk about movies we love. Movies. So, um, yeah, John, why don't you start? Why don't you tell us um, how your church has been handling uh, this whole COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic and uh, how you've been kind of trying to stay connected with your church through it all? We're doing, like, video things. Um, so, basically, this has resulted in my they're church. They're like video? They're not video? They're just like video? Yeah, they're just like video, not exact. No, they are videos. <laughs> but yeah, so they've started a YouTube channel now, which was kind of a thing, but now it is officially a thing. Um, so we've got a Sunday service thing that has like a song and then a message and then another song and like a prayer. And they're getting like some people from the community to record some different things. So a couple different people to do like some announcement-esque things, things like that. And so we get one of those and then we get like a little devotional on Wednesdays, which is fun. But it's interesting because, like, my brain is less in church mode with that stuff and more in digital media mode. So, like, I'll find myself putting it on and doing something else, and then I lose something important. Or I'll find myself looking at it, and like I would with any YouTube channel that I watch or anything, I'm like, eh. And then don't exactly go at it or don't look at it at that exact time. Like, mm -hmm. I tried really hard with the Good Friday stuff and the Easter stuff to look at it, but with all digital media that I consume, unless it's a narrative story, it's like, okay, is this something this, uh, this creator's putting out that I am interested in or not? And so my brain is putting it in that category as opposed mm. to this is church category, which is tricky. Interesting. Um, but our family has not been doing it together, which is partially because we're very busy. Um, we did do communion together on... Uh, Palm Sunday, because our pastor led communion via that. Um, well, you and your mom are both considered essential workers, so you you and her are still going out to work every day. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then Sam is imprisoned here forever, never to see the outside again. 
So never, oh, never. no, not even when the quarantine lifts, we've just decided it's best for him to stay home and never interact with anybody again, lest they just be driven insane by his madness. So. Alrighty then. We're a very loving family. I can tell. <laughs> so how's um, your church been handling the quarantine? How have you been doing? Very, very similar. You know, a lot of, um, a lot of video stuff. They're doing stuff on, they're streaming their services through Facebook. There's this special platform for churches that allows you to, it's very, very similar where they can stream and you can comment and everything. And uh, it, it's interesting. They've actually been doing more things during this quarantine time than they normally would. Um, like just this past, now part of it is because we just came off Holy Week, but even before that, um, like Holy Week, we, we did a Monday Thursday service where we all did communion at home with whatever elements we had, which was cool. Really like that. But we've, we've tried to um, be very purposeful uh, like every Sunday, my family, we get up, we get ready for church, we sit and we have our Bibles out and we are there having church at home. We're, we're participating in the worship and um, really focused. And we've tried very deliberately to do that, to make sure that our family is really focused on, you know, keeping our church routine. Yeah. But, but they've had like our worship leader will get on a couple of times a week and just do a half hour of worship. Mm -hmm. And whoever's available can like log in and watch the stream and comment and sing along at home or whatever they want to do. So they've been doing more, I think, to, um, to stay connected with the congregation. Now, is your church doing anything in particular to help out during the crisis at all? I know a lot of churches yeah. are doing a lot of different things. Can mm -hmm. you tell a little, little bit about that and then I'll do the same? Yeah, we just recently did like a drive for Metro Health um, on Byron Center, I think, um, with masks and uh, just a whole bunch of other hygiene kind of equipment to help keep the workers there safe uh, was the last one. I can't recall if there's another coming up, but I would expect, especially with the quarantine being extended, our church is very much a church that loves to get in the community and loves to help as much as possible. Mine too. Um, so I, I would expect <laughs> that we would have another one of those coming up. So yeah, um, mine is doing the same. My church has been, uh, they've like been getting a lot of folks to make masks, mm -hmm. um, getting the materials, drop it. And they're, they're like, the church staff is dropping off materials at people's homes and then the people can get them off their stoop and make masks and then mm -hmm. do that. We also participate in a ministry called Hand to Hand. Uh, which normally provides food for school kids. Yep. But in the face of this crisis, they've started really expanding it. So now they have some people coming together to make lunches, box lunches and everything. And then people can just come by the church and pick them up. It's been cool to see with a lot of different, even companies too, how like I think Ford and GM are making respirator parts now. Um, yeah. We've got like, other fabric stores or pillow stores are making masks and everybody is binding together around this thing, which is cool. I think that's been the really cool thing is mm -hmm. seeing how churches, businesses, individuals are finding creative ways to continue helping the community, doing their part to try and keep things as normal as possible. Yeah. Um, 
So that's a kind of a good segue. So why don't we talk about what Unmuted and Master Arts are doing in the midst of this? You know, obviously we're one of those, we're both of our organizations are one of those organizations that's really hit hard by this. I mean, we all are, mm-hmm. but I think performing arts organizations kind of like churches, if you can't gather, yeah, if yeah, you, if you can't be in community. It's really hard to do what we're called to do mm-hmm. uh, both because you, you can't rehearse right. and because you can't have an audience. So it's been really interesting to see how a lot of different arts organizations are rising to the challenge. So let's talk a little bit about Unmuted first, what you guys are doing in the middle of this, mm-hmm. and then uh, I'll share a little bit about what's going on at Master Arts. Cool. Well, with us just uh, coming off of Holy Week, uh, we did a project that you were involved in that I mentioned in our last podcast called The Gospels, which is now yeah. entirely up. It's a six-episode series that goes through the entire Gospels, but each episode is between 20 minutes to 30 minutes, with the last episode being a little longer. So, yeah, we just did that, which was really uplifting. I think it was really cool. It's still out there if you guys want to watch it. All six is on our website. You can get there through our website or our Facebook page if I needed. But we want to do some more of that over the next probably month. I want to give some opportunities to be able to use some of that work that we put in, um, starting with Lamentations. We're going to be doing a reading of that shortly because I think Lamentations is very applicable to right now where we don't know what's happening and mm. it's scary. And many of us will, and understandably so, be lamenting to God what is happening because there's a lot of hardship that's coming through this. So I think Lamentations would be very encouraging during this time. But, um, and this will be announced shortly, uh, we're going to just be doing a couple of special events later on in the fall. Um, So we're doing another Night of Worshipful Arts, and um, I would like to do a Christmas program as well, if I can, which I think both of those, both for actors and people who want to be involved, that gives them a cool, interesting, artistic thing to do. Um, But then also for our audience, I think those are just going to be some really encouraging things, especially after this season, to lift them back up. The Night of Worshipful Arts, the first time we did it, wound up being way more uplifting than I was actually expecting, which was cool. It was really exciting. It was an amazing Night of Worship. I remember that. It was cool. So uh, doing another one of those to come together and worship and celebrate what God has done and God seeing us through um, after this hard time, I think is going to be a really important and valuable experience. So I'm really looking forward to that, but also still wanting to do our pieces over the summer if we can and giving our people a chance to do what they've been working on and, you know, what they enjoy doing. But uh, how about Master Arts? What are you guys doing to kind of... Well, (laughs) yeah, it's been a little, it's been a little challenging. For those of you who don't know, we're really having to kind of pull up pulled tight our purse strings and I've had to unfortunately lay off almost all of my staff just to try and uh, keep things afloat while we have very little income coming in. Now at the same time, we've had some amazing donors step up and give sacrificially and um, to try and keep us going. And, you know, I'm trying, I'm doing all the things you're supposed to do. Like I applied for the S small business association emergency grant and, uh, the small business loans from the federal government for the you know impact that they're having. So we'll see. Hopefully those will come through and I can bring my staff back and uh, we can get ready for the fall. 
So I felt going into this, as soon as they announced that we were going to be in quarantine for a while, I really wanted to do something to keep my actors involved in being creative and, and putting themselves forth, but also something for our audiences. Cause we, we've had to cancel a couple of shows mm -hmm. and a uh, little worried that we might have to cancel more. Um, so I wanted to do something during this quarantine period, both to keep our creative people creative and uh, also keep things out there for our audiences. So the first thing I did was I started this thing called quarantine monologues where normally actors prepare monologues for auditions and things like that. And mm -hmm. I said, hey, if you've been working on a monologue, film yourself doing it, send it over to me, and we'll post these. And we've got about five or six up now, and we've got some more people preparing some. Um, I've got a couple I'm in editing right now. So we're, put, we're posting two, or two to three of those a week. Mm -hmm. um, and you can check those out at the Master Arts Theater YouTube channel. But the other thing I wanted to do is... Um, I wanted to do some online readers theater. So we're, we're using the Zoom video conference platform, which mm -hmm. they've, they've got to be oh expanding like crazy right now. They're probably the only business that is booming is video conferencing. Things. Exactly. Now everybody wants it. Yeah, and for you know, some reason, Zoom is the one. Zoom is, is the one that everybody's using. Have you using. noticed how quickly, though, advertisements for video conferencing things and video chats have come out? Oh my goodness, yes. I was like, it's been two weeks and somehow there is this high produced, you can stay connected while staying safe ad on Facebook. I'm like, how? The how market get together to film that stuff. So I, I do wanna want I do wanna say, is marketing an essential business? Just wondering. Just putting that out there. But anyway. So yeah, we are gonna be posting our very first uh, quarantine readers theater this week. I think it's gonna be Thursday night at seven. We're gonna put a watch party on our Facebook and our YouTube channels. And uh, what I'm having to do is, cause I wanna make sure that we're, we're being legal, is I'm pulling scripts that are uh, public domain. Mm -hmm. These are older scripts, they're classic, or we're hoping to maybe do some original scripts by myself and some other playwrights here who are working on things that we can, we can post and kind of test the waters with them. Yeah. So our first one is going to be this Thursday night, we're going to be posting magic of fantasy, which is written by GK Chesterton. Mm -hmm. Now, for those who don't know who he is, um, if you saw father Brown, our production of father Brown, which was, Sold out performance was fantastic. That was great. Um, we were both in that, so we're kind of tooting our own horns. We talked oh, about, we talked it. about that last, last week. Podcast. Yeah. So if you want to know more about it, check out the podcast and check subscribe. Yeah. Right. So I found this play that was written by G.K. Chesterton, who created Father Brown. He was a, a very prolific writer. Mm hmm but I found this play called Magic, a Fantasy. And it's a smaller cast, about nine people. And we got on Zoom conference last week. We recorded it. I'm in the middle of editing it right now. And we're going to premiere that on Tuesday night. Or I'm sorry, Thursday night. Yeah. And uh, we're doing our next one, Pygmalion, by George Bernard Shaw. Um, we're filming that this week and hope to have that next week. And as long as the quarantine continues, we're going we're gonna to keep doing these. Mm -hmm. So... If you're a fan of theater and you kind of want to behind the scenes, you can you can uh, watch these table reads of uh, actually I guess they're video virtual reads of 
of these scripts. And you never know, maybe, maybe the, one of these will strike a chord and we'll end up producing it in the future. But I know our hope is still that we can recover from this. And I know we still have one more show in this season, mm-hmm. Life Derailed, which the directors are trying very hard to kind of do some video rehearsals and still pull that off in June. Um, now, a lot of that's going to depend upon, you know, what, what regulations come down, what life looks like, how we're going to recover from coming out of quarantine. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of my time is looking at different scenarios and saying, okay, this could happen and then master arts can be this way and this could happen. And then we have to do this. And, you know, so I'm trying to create some different scenarios and be as prepared as possible for what life's going to look like after this quarantine ends, because I think we all can agree that this is a very transformative time in our culture and our world. And I don't think it's going to be like just flipping on a switch and getting back to normal. I think this is going to be something that we're going to need to live with and will change things at at least for the short term, if not for the long term. But yeah, so that's some of the things we're doing. Um, if you're interested, check out our YouTube channel. It's all, all those are going to be on there. Our monologues are on there. Um, and uh, if you, if you're an actor and you want to contribute a monologue or be part of one of these readings, hit me up on Facebook. Let me know. Or do shoot me an email. What's do that, John? It. I said, do it. Do it. Just do it. So yeah, we're trying to stay active, even though we're all kind of secluded. But uh, yeah, one thing I could say is, you know, being, being someone who, uh, an organization that has staff, that has expenses, that has a building, um, we're trying to do our best to maintain that during this time where we can't do shows. So um, if, if you're in a place where you could donate, um, we would be a great cause to donate to. We try to do things that glorify the Lord and are entertaining for our people. So if you're in a place where you can support the arts and support arts that lift up the Lord, go to masterarts.org and check it out and see if God leads you to, to give anything. That would be great. Same thing for Unmuted. I mean, they're also, um, they're just really getting started and um, they could use some financial support as well, especially since they can't rehearse or do their performances that they had planned this summer. So yeah, now's, a, now's an important time that if you're an arts supporter to really reach out to whatever arts organization you like to attend or, or support and uh, see if they need help. We've had some great donors who've done that for us. And because um, really after this, everybody is going to kind of have not kind of, they will have to relaunch basically. Yeah. We're all going to be very starting true. from scratch. Basically again, everything will like, it's going to be like a clean slate, but not necessarily in a good way. Some, some in a good way. That'll be good from it but it's going to be a lot of work getting it back to where the community was. Um, and it's yeah. going to require a lot of help from the people that normally just come to see the shows to help build back up the thing that they enjoy. So yeah. now what's great, I think about both of our organizations is we have a lot of passionate performers mm-hmm. and we have some great people who are really dedicated to performing for the glory of God. Yeah. And really bring something that's good and, and wholesome and enlightening and mm-hmm. uplifting to the world. I know in our case, um, I'm very confident we have some great patrons and supporters and people who come to our shows. And I'm confident they're going to come out and support us when we can Yeah, do those Same. shows again. Mm-hmm. So, 
Cool. So, Tim. Yeah. You and I are a big fan of genre movies. Genre yeah. movies often yeah. have superheroes. If you could have one fruit-based superpower, what would it be? Fruit-based? Fruit-based. Like the food. Fruit-based. Fruit-based. Golly. Fruit I don't know what that means. So it's oh, you know what? I would be citrus, man, because you know if you get that strong acid, that can be really damaging to your enemies. That is true. But it also supports your immune system and can strengthen you. So it's like you could be super strong, but also have that acidic effect on your enemies. So citrus, man, that's what I'd be. Captain Citrus. Captain Citrus. How about you? Um, I, was, power. I don't know. You threw this out there, man. You got to come up with this. I know I did. You think I know the answers to my own questions, Tim? You're wrong. Um, I'd just grow bananas, I suppose. Next banana man? Bananas when I wanted. I like banana bananas. Man. So I could just be like, banana man. Do, 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 do. I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I've got my own theme song already. This is going great. Well, speaking of movies, um, we both love movies. We're both big fans of movies. Um, what are some movies that, what are some of your favorites? What are your some favorite movies? And then we can talk about them. Um, I love Lord of the Rings above all. Not above. Oh, me too. Me I love too. Jesus more than Lord of the Rings. But second to Jesus and the people that I love in my life, it's Lord of the Rings. I really like Star Wars. Star Wars has a very special place in my heart. And then I really like superhero movies. Off the top of my head, my favorite superhero movies would be the Captain America trilogy, the Dark Knight trilogy, Logan, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Those are probably it. I also, just other random movies that I really love are The Prince of Egypt and Inside Out. I really like Man of Steel, which I know is a, a hot, not, not a hot, it's, 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 a, it's a divisive thing to say, but Man of Steel is one of my favorite movies. There's also, there's a movie Arrival, which is a sci-fi movie. Oh yeah. I really like, it's really good. Those are probably my list. List. I like your list. What's your list, Tim? What have you got? Wow. So many. I would have to agree with you that the Lord of the Rings movies are probably really, if not the top, very close to the top. There's um, some historical movies, and I'm trying to remember the director's name, and I can't right now. Uh, my favorite of which is Kingdom of Heaven. Oh, isn't that Ridley Scott? Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, he's, done, he, he's, he's done these, and they're not really connected, but they're connected in my brain. Um, Gladiator, Kingdom of Heaven, King Arthur, and Robin Hood. If you I haven't put, seen either of his. King if Arthur you put those four together, they kind of have this historical narrative that follows all four of them through when you put them time-wise where they happen in history. Um, and I appreciate, especially um, Kingdom of Heaven is my all-time favorite. It's, it's about the, the fall of Jerusalem mm -hmm. during the end of the Crusades to the Muslims when the Christians basically gave it up. And it's an amazing character study about a man and his search for identity and his search for God. But we'll talk about that later. I'm also a big fan of animated movies. Mm -hmm. My favorite of which would probably be Disney's Atlantis and um, Warner Brothers' The Iron Giant. Oh. I love those. I'm, I'm just a big, I'm the, about the only genre I'm not really into is horror. Yeah. Um, 
I like suspense if it's well done and it's really suspense. Mm -hmm. I like when elements of horror are used. Like in Logan, elements of horror are used for the villain. And I think that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I don't hold, I mean, I hold some things against certain horror movies, but horror itself as a genre, I don't necessarily have anything against. It's just, I would not ever be able to sleep again. If I watched a horror movie, I get scared by two white dots on my TV. So if I watched a horror movie, I would die. I also like, like, there's one movie that has really affected me called Simon Birch, which is based on a novel called A Prayer for Owen Meany. Really affected me. But I also, I, I'm, I'm a sci-fi fantasy guy. I've really enjoyed, like, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. I'm a big Star Trek fan, but that I tend to be more of a TV Star Trek fan than a movie Star Trek fan. Mm-hmm. But I love them all. There's been some fantastic sci-fi movies. Contact, Arrival, Passengers. Mm-hmm. We've had... I like the speculative sci-fi. And I'm a, you know, I, like you, I'm a big fan of superhero movies. I think my favorite are the Dark Knight series of Batman films. I love the Captain America films, which I'm sure, sure you're going to riff on in a, in a little bit here. And, and I love, you know, Star Wars is especially Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke Skywalker. Those guys have always been heroic characters for me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, very similar list to yours. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking of that, you know, knowing that sci-fi fantasy superhero films are so important to both of us, what do you think it is about those films that draw us in, that touch us, that are, make them important to us, those characters, those Mm -hmm. stories? Well, I think I'd be, remiss if I didn't mention the fantastical element. Like, I mean, there's a level where our imagination, I think, is definitely captured. I love world building. Um, Yeah. Definitely one of the reasons I love Lord of the Rings. When I was in junior high to high school, like, one of my biggest hobbies was I will find out the lore of every single world that I love. So I delved into the lore of Lord of the Rings. I delved into the lore of a video game I played called Skyrim. I delved into some Star Wars lore. I didn't ever, I didn't uh, have a chance to delve into Star Trek lore because I wasn't into that as much, but I do want to at some point. But <clears throat> the world building and like just the beautiful tapestry that can be created with that, I love. And there, there has to be an element of world building with any sci-fi or fantasy movie that you uh, create. Oh, yeah. Because you have to establish a world, even something like Arrival, where Arrival is aliens are, you know, coming to Earth, and it's very realistically treated as a first contact situation. Mm -hmm. Um, But there has to be some level of world building for these characters, especially because it's all about figuring out how to communicate with these strange alien beings. Yeah. So there's always an element of world building. And I guess sort of a mystery there as you find these things out, which I think is cool. And I think uh, you talk about world building, and, and frankly, J.R.R. Tolkien set the bar. Oh, yeah. When he wrote The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, and, and when you look at all the, all the stuff, I mean, it's amazing because those novels were released during his lifetime. Mm-hmm. But his son and his family, his heirs, have so copious notes. I mean, there was so much world building for those novels that we never saw just for him to be able to write them the way he wanted to write them, he built this entire, you know, unbelievable history of this world. And now we're starting to see some of those get mm-hmm. released. And he did an amazing amount of work. But yeah, he, he really set the bar for world building. And I think in, in modern cinema, Star Wars and Marvel and 
Star Trek have really kind of set the bar there because mm-hmm. they've created these vast, uh, Marvel especially, the way they have purposely taken those superhero characters and they came at it with a plan which has really been kind of unheard of in cinema to have, I mean, it was done in comic books and novels, but, but to do it in I, cinema was just was amazing. I mean, um, like a serial, but you're counting on the audience to stick with a two-hour serial yeah. every single time, and it, it's just very unprecedented, but it worked. Which and then crazy. to have them, all these characters from all these different episodes all connect and like appear as a cameo in here and then connect mm-hmm. here. And then, then you've got the Avengers films where they're all coming together. I mean, especially the last two. I'm like, oh man, I, I do not envy the writers in having to juggle that no. many characters. But they did it so well. And they did it in such a way that I felt like even the smaller characters who didn't necessarily have a whole arc in the in the films got their moments and got their time like like the ant-man and black panther and um who weren't part of the core avengers i think no one expected it when iron man came out 10 11 years ago oh no and uh, that's the other thing that amazes me is how many films in 10 years 22 it's crazy it's, that's a it's lot. yeah and to think that back when um lord of the rings was being made it was a pretty huge risk for well, three. for them to approve three mm-hmm. films that that had never you know had no basis of fandom or anything that that the movie studios could could draw from. Mm-hmm. I mean, there had been a couple of animated films yeah. that had been well received, but but that's a whole different thing than a big blockbuster movie. Right. Whereas now that's almost commonplace where it's almost especially if it's some kind of adaption it's like oh they're green lighting the trilogy the actors yeah. have signed on always for more than one movie which then it gets disappointing if the the, the, the first movie flops but the people who loved it i'm like well It'll hey yeah i think what? another layer to this too is i think i think it connects to both a mythic sense that we as a people as humans have but also to a yeah. sense because we in like modern society, like we're a very deconstructionistic side society. Like Logan is a perfect example of that. That is 100% a deconstruction of what a superhero would be. As it looks as real at realistic things, the wear and tear it would have on his body, the wear and tear it would have on his soul, and all of that. It's very deconstructionistic. Um, but we're still a society that, I don't know if respects is the right word, but enjoys that myth, um, yeah. the myth thing so you have these characters that are larger than life but also you can relate to and you can see yourself in yes yes but i think it also even comes down to a more basic element of good versus evil Mm -hmm. though the one thing that all of these have i mean you get some shades of gray in there with some characters but ultimately it really comes down to doing the right thing Mm-hmm. and the the face-off of good versus evil. You know, the modern superhero film is really very much reflective of the Westerns that were popular in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. And what I love, and, you know, people keep saying, well, it's going to die. And it, and it might, but I think it might transform into something else. But I think that there's something about us about seeing good people being challenged 
whether it be truly evil people or people wanting power or authority, there's something about that conflict of good versus evil that is inherent in our spirit that both fantasy and superhero films and to a lesser extent, but still true in science fiction, all seem to address. And what I also appreciated is they can use these fantastical elements to speak to some of the challenges of everyday life in a way that's not political. Sometimes it gets political, but, but in a way that can be, hey, we want to address this thing that we're seeing in the world mm-hmm. that really needs someone to speak up and point out. Like I remember when uh, both in a very, I think, I don't know if it was the same year or within two years, Wonder Woman and Black Panther came out, which was really phenomenal because mm-hmm. you had the first major motion picture for a black superhero, mm-hmm. African-American superhero. Let's put it this way, one that fully embraced mm-hmm. the African-American culture in a way that didn't speak down to them, that wasn't kind of um, like the black exploitation films in the 70s. Yeah, it was in like a respectful way. Exactly, it exactly. Respectfully and it did so addressing with the culture of Wakanda, and the people who had spun out of that, it addressed, it, it addressed some real cultural realities about privilege, about how to address racism, mm-hmm. about you know, some really important issues in our culture today. And this, Wonder Woman did the same thing. It, it was able to present a very strong heroine one that had existed in media for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember growing up, and this is this is going to show how old I am. <laughs> I grew up on the Linda Carter Wonder Woman television series, which was, mm-hmm. was phenomenal. But there was a lot of stereotypical things in that. What I appreciated about the Wonder Woman that we have now is they both honored the history of the character, but they did so in a way that was very empowering and very mm-hmm. encouraging to women in our culture today yeah and and i appreciate the um the relationship between steve trevor and uh wonder woman in that film because he was able to come alongside her and he like totally recognized that when it came to things that she was able to do better than he was he was like hey go for it i'll do my thing and you do your thing and he and he treated her as an equal from the get-go which was really cool it also um, handles like the genders of each well, because I think a lot yeah. of times a movie will try and set out to be more empowering to woman, but just writes a woman as a man and then makes yeah. the man like a wimp. Which yes, there's they men didn't that are wimps, do that. There's, right, they didn't do it. It balanced. She was very strong and definitely was the hero of that story, but you didn't ever feel like they were writing. Steve Trevor down to just be there to be stomped on by Wonder Woman because of how great she is. Yeah. And Wonder Woman didn't feel like she was just there to be amazing and strong and powerful, even though she was, but there was a very real human element there as well and things she struggled with. Yeah. Which I appreciated. And I think that's that goes gets back to what we were talking about, where science fiction and fantasy is able to put a mirror up to our culture. Mm-hmm and address some things, um, some issues, some things that we're trying to struggle with as humanity. Mm-hmm. And 
really take a look at them. Like if you look at Lord of the Rings, um, there are, there are some definite. The Lord of the Rings was written during World War One, mm-hmm. and Tolkien was definitely very, very strongly influenced by having participated and, and been a soldier in World War One, but also by because World War One kind of happened at the at the in the midst of the Industrial Revolution, mm-hmm. and people were starting to see. Be, prior to that, it's like, oh, the wonders of, of industry. And coming into World War I, we were starting to see some of the dangers of mm-hmm. industry. And that's reflected in Lord of the Rings. Um, fascism is reflected in Lord of the Rings. And, you, you know, just beholding to an idealistic leader who doesn't necessarily have your best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. And the struggle of the, of the temptation of evil. And uh, I think those are all really powerful themes in Lord of the Rings that were our, and the reason why I think the films, you know, Lord of the Rings was written in, you know, World War One, early 1900s. But yeah, when the movies, the movies came out, they were instant hit. Why? Because a lot of those same themes, those same reflections on culture are just as valid today. I think also Tolkien with his faith, despite not necessarily setting out to create an allegory or anything, or even I think necessarily set out to make a book that the faith would be a big part of, is still a very big part of that. And I think that there's a core spiritual truth that we all know that whether intentionally or unintentionally becomes a part of a lot of these films, especially when you're dealing with good and evil. But I mean... Lord of the Rings feels spiritual. It yeah. feels like, oh, like a, a godly thing. You yeah. can feel that spiritual element of Tolkien's faith come through. And I think, I don't remember, I don't remember when I was exploring this. I don't remember, but it was for Christian art and examining, actually it might've been with school, how God can work while yes, he works through us who are trying to do his will. Mm-hmm. He also will work through everything else as well. To that yeah. point, I really want to mention the Dark Knight and the character of Captain America. Segwaying into that, let's talk about how films have affected your faith walk. Mm-hmm. So, I remember very vividly the feeling I had when I first watched The Dark Knight, which was interesting because, first of all, The Dark Knight was when it first came out, at least kind of taboo amongst the intense homeschool conservative Christian community. It was quite taboo. Um, And I saw it when I turned 13. And I mean, first of all, I was blown away because there's an incredible performance in there from everybody. It's such a strong cast. Um, I think it's one of Gary Oldman's best performances. Easily Heath Ledger's best performance. Aaron Eckhart, I think, as Harvey Dent is incredibly underrated. But that aspect of Harvey Dent really got me. Because am I perfect? No, I kind of suck. But also my general personality type fits within like that sort of square upright person in my like base personality type, which Harvey Dent definitely is. But by the end of that movie, he falls so hard. It's incredibly tragic. And I think that movie, better than any movie I've seen, explores the good and the evil in people. 
Yeah. Because by the end of that movie, okay, so so it ends, if you haven't seen it, with two fairies that the Joker has set up. He has planted bombs in the bottom. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, yeah. Um, you've got one fairy is full of civilians and the other fairy is full of criminals that are being taken off this island, off of Gotham, because Gotham is not safe. The fairies break down, the bombs are going to go off at midnight. He has given each boat the detonator to the other bomb. By that point, you have no idea what is going to happen. You don't know who is or isn't going to press the detonator. You don't know how it's going to come out. Because you've just seen the most upright character in that film fall to where he is now one of the most evil characters in that film. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, in that final scene, the people on the boat don't press detonator. My favorite scene is there's this big old criminal who walks up and it's almost midnight. So they're, all, they're almost making the choice about whether to detonate it. And this big old criminal walks up to this, this warden guy who's got the detonator and he says, give it to me. And he's acting like he's going to blow it up. And he says, give it to me. You can tell them I'll take, I took it by force, but give it to me and I'll do what you should have done 10 minutes ago. And he just takes the detonator and throws it out of the ferry and goes and sits down. And it's such a small character. Like it is that one minute scene, but it's such an important scene. And every single person watching that movie goes, would I have been able to do that? Exactly. And you have such a beautiful dichotomy between that and then also between Bruce Wayne even, who, while I think he gets the short end of the stick in that movie, he really doesn't have a lot to do. He does push through a lot of adversity in that movie. I'm going to disagree with something you said. I think there's an unbelievable moment in that film at the very end where Batman, who has pushed himself and saved everybody, willingly becomes the person who is despised so that the reputation of the good man that Harvey Dent was prior to his accident could be upheld. If you want to talk about a Christ sacrifice in a film, I mean, think about it. He deliberately becomes the villain. Scripture says that Christ was a man who was despised and rejected. Yeah. So he could give up his life so that our sin could be, so that we could be the heroes, mm -hmm. so that we could be accepted by God. And I'm like, that's exactly what Batman does for Harvey Dent. Yeah. He becomes the person who is despised and rejected and whose reputation is nothing. And he, he, he takes on the role of villain so that the villain can be redeemed. Yeah. That's amazing. So tell us about Captain America and how Captain America affected you. So Captain America. So my relationship with loving Captain America as a character has been interesting because when I first started to like Captain America, I liked him because he was the leader of the Avengers. Seven-year-old John had a great amount of depth in the characters that he liked by the criteria of, is he the main uh, character and is he in charge? If so, he's my favorite character. So now I get to play as him all the time when we play things, which means I get to lead and be the main character. But I started to appreciate him as a character. Um, I grew up on a couple animated Avengers movies um, called The Ultimate Avengers. And then the actual MCU started happening. And I was still really struck by his character. And there's an interesting thing that happens to his character that I don't think any of the directors intended, but you start to get a really interesting subtext to things based on one throwaway line that Joss Whedon threw in there. Because Joss Whedon, when directing the Avengers, was 
very adamant that he had to do these characters justice. Captain America traditionally is a Christian. So he throws one throwaway gag line in there when Captain America meets Thor saying there's only one God and I don't think he dresses like that. And that is the only time that Captain America's faith is ever mentioned. But to me, it recontextualizes his entire character Mm -hmm. because he goes through so many struggles and like his classic line is, I can do this all day. And he gets back up. Like that's one of his like signature things. And to me, that inspires my faith a huge amount because I know that that's, that's something that's true. The very end of the series, he's facing off against like this super powerful guy that is the most powerful person in the universe. But even when he's beaten down and by himself, he still gets back up and is by himself against an army, but he's still moving forward. And because of that one line, I 100% know for a fact he's not just doing that because he's like, eh, whatever, this is what I've got to do. It's because he knows he has someone infinitely more powerful on his side. And even though he doesn't know what's about to happen, he knows God is on his side and God's going to do something. And that's when all the characters return and help him. And the other thing I love about Cap, he's the kind of Christian that I aspire to be. Because there's these little lines peppered throughout all of his films and the Avengers films that show that he's a pretty conservative guy Mm -hmm. you know he's got that 50s family nuclear family christianity um like you know because he talks about don't swear over the comms and you know things like that and people make fun of him but the funny thing is is that one he's he's always seeing the good in people he's always looking for the god in people even the bad guys Mm -hmm. you know to me his whole arc with the winter soldier mm-hmm. is all about i know who this guy really is i know the god in him and i'm going i i have to redeem my friend i have to give him an opportunity for redemption he does the same thing with tony he does the same thing and he looks at the other thing i love about him is he looks at all the people from all the different i mean the Marvel Universe pulls from mythology, they pull from science fiction, they pull from black magic and sorcery, yeah. they pull from all things. And the cool thing about Cap is he's never judgmental. He's accepting of all of them. And as a result, they accept him and his faith without question. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that leads to him being the leader of the Avengers simply because they know that he has a moral compass that he's going to attempt to do the right thing at all times. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And, like, it's a comic book character. Yeah. So you would think it's silly, but there's just so much there where I look at that, and I'm like, that's who I want to be. Yeah, yeah. Not in a childish right. way, but, yeah. But I think it's really cool how God uses those characters that even when I guarantee you none of the directors, not Kevin Feige or anybody in charge of the Marvel Cinematic Universe went into that saying, let's make a character who is incredibly nuanced and shows a deep and interesting look at a Christian's walk of faith in a very nuanced way that can encourage some conservative Christians or just every Christian, really. I don't, I don't think they went in doing that. And yet, 
from that one throwaway line and who that character is and how God worked somehow, that's how that character came out to me, at least, and to you as well. So, yep, yep. Well, I think we have podcasted. Have we podcasted? We have podcasted. We have podcasted. So, for those of you who have stuck through this conversation, thank you for listening to our shenanigans. Um, if you like this, you know, like it on whatever platform that uh, you're listening to us on. I, I believe we are now. I know we're on yeah, Apple's Apple podcast channel. We're on Spotify. So yeah. follow us, um, like give us. us um, give us if you have some suggestions for what you'd like to hear. You know, send us a, a message or comment. We're gonna have and, an interview um, next week, aren't we? Are we interviews? I think so. Oh, cool! That would be awesome. Promise. Now we're gonna start our interview. Everybody hold us accountable. We're starting our interview next week. So we will be now the bar is up there. We get we have to bring somebody in. Yeah. We'll be it might be your mom, but we'll see. Well, hey, we could talk about uh essential workers and social work and hospital and all that scary stuff. Who knows? Who knows Who what knows? we're gonna talk about? Yeah. But thanks for listening and uh we appreciate you sticking around. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Playing for the Master, a co-production of Unmuted Arts and Master Arts Theater, both out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our theme music is Rondo Giocoso, a piece written and performed by Richard Sertia. Our podcast is edited by Tim Van Bruggen. The views expressed by the hosts of this podcast are completely their own and may not reflect those held by the organizations as a whole. If you have any comments or suggestions for topics you'd like to hear discussed, please email them to director at masterarts.org. Thanks for listening. Are we going to start? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to start just like that, Tim. Welcome to the play. <laughs> no.